Hello and welcome to the Fun Calibre podcast. I'm Sam Slater and I'm here today with James Thompson, manager of Rathbone Global Opportunities Fund. James, thanks for joining me. I've grabbed you literally just before you're about to host your annual investment dinner with yes, 40 evening, people. Sam. Hello. So thanks for making the time. Um, just to start off with, for our listeners who are new to investing, how would you explain your job to them? I guess I, I, w- I would explain it as a sort of cuddly version of Dragon's Den. Okay. Uh, uh, less ego, uh, fewer demands, uh, but equally critical and skeptical. You know, I spend all my time meeting with companies and analysts trying to unearth the best investment ideas around the world. I buy about 60 stocks, mid and large size companies, under the radar growth businesses uh, in some of the most exciting parts of the stock market. And just think, obviously, people will have heard your accent now. When you're talking to your friends, just generally, are they more likely to ask you about their pension, where you're investing, Trump, or the weather? Or a combination. Oh, uh, yes. Can lightning strike twice? Can Trump <laughs> be re-elected? Oh. Um, uh, politics and geopolitics are frequently uh, discussed, uh, but actually history shows that it makes a lot of noise but doesn't have a long-lasting stock market impact. Brexit could be the exception to that. Uh, I did retreat on my UK exposure uh, two years ago, mm. uh, but that won't be the case forever. You know, this is an amazing country uh, with some of the most innovative and adaptable people and businesses. Uh, you know, the transition could be painful. Uh, I know that most fund managers are avoiding the UK like the plague, yes. uh, but I believe the UK PLC will adapt and thrive. But while the storm rages, I've deployed most of the fund's investments uh, in the US, Europe, and a small amount to Asia. And how do you invest your own money and your family's money? So do you do regular monthly payments or lump sums and in which asset class do you invest? Well, whenever I have any money that I know I don't need to access for the next few years, I invest. And my largest investment is in my own fund. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm eating my own cooking, so to speak. It's also my children's largest uh, investment. Mine too, so no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, mine are aged uh, three and six. Uh, They certainly don't hide their views, so it uh, keeps me focused. (laughs) And on to your fund now properly. Um, Quite aptly, you describe part of your investment process as looking for companies that have a secret source and we're sitting at dinner tables ready to eat, so both thinking about eating at the moment. Can you explain that secret sauce to us, please? Yes, I'm sorry. Secret sauce is a, a sort of horrible American expression. I'm, I'm British, but I went to school and, and university in America. Uh, and hopefully in this lovely restaurant, we won't be plagued with uh, bland food. <laughs> uh, but an investment process needs a good recipe, too. Ingredients that tend to make successful investments and uh, things we should avoid. So, you know, I like easy to understand businesses with a scalable and repeatable strategy who uh, have durable qualities, sustainable qualities to, the, to their business. Uh, pricing power, the people who manage the business are important. Are they prudent but also flexible with their uh, uh, thinking? Are they doing something different? Is it difficult to copy? And do they underpromise uh, and overdeliver? But there are also things I'm looking to avoid. I'm, I'm not interested in uh, traumatized turnaround, recovery stories, special situations, uh, unconventional technologies, or businesses where their success is based outside of their control. Uh, I don't like early stage businesses or speculative businesses, uh, or, or companies where really it's just a pure valuation call. People will say it looks too cheap. Actually, that, that, that's a turnoff for me. 
And do you have a pot of defensive holdings, just in case the market goes pear-shaped? What type of company do you hold in that pot? Um, what are their ingredients, if you like? And why would you class them as being defensive? Well, I realized many years ago that my fund was too adrenaline-filled, uh, too many economically sensitive companies uh, closely correlated to economic growth. I needed a buffer, companies where demand was more predictable and reliable. Uh, companies that were still growing, but less closely linked to the economic cycle. Uh, weatherproof businesses, I call them. Uh, you know, examples will include you know, food, uh, beverage, ingredients companies, uh, health care, care homes, pest control. Companies where demand is predictable, uh, revenues are recurring, uh, and hopefully big surprises are rare. Now, these companies aren't immune from recession, but they are recession-resistant. And they provide a foil to some of my more racy holdings in the technology, consumer, and financial sectors. And can you tell us a little bit about a couple of companies that you own that we'll have heard of? Maybe Amazon and Match.com? Yes, I, I, I agree that Amazon doesn't exactly fit the under-the-radar label, uh, but it certainly was when I invested in it eight years ago. In fact, it was one of the most hated technology companies in the world, derided for its heavy investments that depressed uh, profit margins. Uh, many of those investment investments are being harvested now. Uh, for instance, AWS, the cloud computing giant, was conceived then and now is the largest cloud computing business in the world. And of course, you know, they are the 800-pound gorilla in the e-commerce and rapidly expanding into adjacent markets, such as grocery. So expect to see a big push into grocery over the next few years, and perhaps even Amazon supermarkets without tills. Watch this space. <laughs> uh, Match Group, uh, which owns, yes, Match.com, mm -hmm. uh, but also uh, OkCupid, okay uh, Plenty of Fish, uh, but the real jewel is Tinder. So 10 years ago, of people in relationships, 3% of them met on the internet. Now, today, it's one-third. One-third of people in relationships have met online. There are 500 million singles in the world, and about 70 million of them use Tinder. But only about 5 million of them use the premium services like Tinder Gold, which provides a sort of executive summary of, uh, of potential matches. There are 5 million students who become college freshmen every year in the United States. The sniggering is over. Online dating is real and profitable. Over the next few days, millions of college students are about to go on spring break. Tinder has just launched, for a small fee, mm. spring break mode. Really? So that you can arrange matches before you even step foot in Senior Frogs in Cancun. Well, thank you very much, James. That was really interesting. Thank you. And we'll uh, go and eat now. And if you would like to listen to any more of our podcasts, please subscribe to Fun Calibre. Thank you.